Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Link Podcast. I'm Brad, and I'm joined, as always, with James, or by James. How you doing, James? I'm great today. How are you guys? Doing well. well we have a special guest today on the podcast. Uh, Andy is joining us from Richmond, and he's going to talk a little bit about student mobilization. Uh, welcome hey aboard, Andy. Good to have Thanks. you. Thanks. Good to be with you guys. Thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. You're welcome. We're really glad to have you here. We're continuing our uh, series that we've been doing on on mission mobilization is interest in missions growing, shrinking. Uh, so it feels like to us, uh, you have a really, really good perspective on that. You have probably a bigger perspective than anyone else that we've talked with. So we're really excited, excited to jump in with you. Give us a little bit of your just your missions background. What's your what's your street cred look like? And if we had a long time, I could go all the way back to like almost birth. Like that's just <laughs> kind of been my journey, which is really awesome when I reflect upon it. Because anytime I get a question like this and I get to reflect upon just the way that my parents brought me up, I did not grow up on the field, but uh, I grew up with parents who loved the work and were involved as much as possible. Uh, they would spend a month at a time overseas or they would just uh, constantly going on short term. Uh, mission trips and that kind of thing. So it kind of birthed within me a, a passion and a desire to do those kind of things. And so I actually went, I was saved at an early age, but I went on my first like short-term trip when I was uh, in seventh grade. Nice. And I just remember vividly the the desire to to share the gospel with people that weren't like me. And so that kind of, that cross-cultural desire to be about the mission was uh, like I said, started at seventh grade, and then I continued to go on different trips from seventh grade. More long-term, maybe more in-depth mission background. In 2008, I left my family and my wife and two kids at the time. We left for Sub-Saharan Africa, and we started off in the country of Botswana, uh, the country just north of South Africa. And we were there for about seven years, primarily working among university students 75% of the population of Sub-Saharan Africa is below the age of 29. And so that was mm -hmm. really our focus. Like, how can we engage like the, the primary demographic Sub-Saharan Africa? And we did that for about seven years. And then I transitioned to South Africa, where I was leading some of the work there. And then our last two years in the field uh, were in Kenya. And then we were just sensing the Lord uh, leading us to be about doing some mobilization among U.S. churches which led us to transition back to the States. And so that's what we've been doing since then, still with a heart for reaching the next generation as, as they mobilize, as we mobilize the next generation among the nations as well. So yeah, that's a little bit of my background. Like yeah. I said, I could go a lot deeper because <laughs> it's just, it's in my blood, which I love. Yeah, I hear you. If we weren't constrained by time, I would just flesh all that out with you because it would be great <laughs> to hear. It's a lot there. Now, Andy, um, I know Next Gen is in your title. What is the scope of who you're mobilizing? Is it can anyone and everyone, or is it sort of young adults specifically? Yeah, Brad. So we've Next Gen is an umbrella term that kind of looks at youth, college, and young adults. Anyone between the ages of 15 and 30 uh, is who we're targeting in terms of providing opportunities for them. But at the same time, I mean, we want to see that ingrained even when we think about next gen, that could even be children as well. Um, having there's the organization we work with like has a ton of opportunities, even not opportunities, but info and education for, for children. So even starting early, but those that we mobilize is really between the ages of 15 and 30. Good. Yeah. So you, you're kind of in the demo, you're working with a demographic that we're sort of thinking of in this series. So I think that's perfect. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, and how long have you been in this role? I've been doing this for the past year. So really one year in this job, we moved to the States in March of 2020. And like I said, my background has really been, I've done a lot of collegiate work Mm -hmm. and even always been involved in mobilization when it comes to college students in particular, but this job, I've been in it for a year. Gotcha. So what's it been like going from like working on the field with that demographic to now you're recruiting that demographic? Yeah, we, we can, we can dive into this a little bit more, but I really believe a couple of things happened even in my own heart uh, when I was on the field. One of the things that I did while serving in uh, Botswana in particular is besides just focusing on a university demographic there in the city, we also were receiving a lot of university students from the States. Mm-hmm. My job for kind of our region of the world, our affinity was a, a student strategist and helping oversee all of the training that would take place of U.S. students that were coming over. Um, so they would get some training um, overseas, kind of like what OneLink does. But at the same time, there was some field training that, that we would get to do as well. And so I was overseeing a lot of that training and placement of students throughout uh, throughout Sub-Saharan Africa. And so getting involved in that was really, really grew my heart with a, with a greater desire to be investing in the next generation of church. Um, actually, I began praying for a new generation of church, a new generation of missionaries. And we think about under, everyone understanding not only God's heart for the nations, but the imperative that our call to make disciples of all nations happens at conversion, you know, I mean, so um, helping, helping talk that through and and, and having the opportunity to see students come over and maybe some, for some of them, this kind of opening their eyes for the first time as they would share the gospel cross-culturally and begin to see some of those things. The other side of that, and this is where we might want to get into a little bit more. So even think about the future of even mobilization and future of work is, I had the opportunity of, of working with African students and seeing them catch a vision and understanding that, again, at conversion, we have been called to make disciples of all nations. I mean, that the Great Commission has been given to the church and seeing, helping everyone see their role in that is imperative. And so these students we were working with in Africa, I mean, saved um, in college and really seeing their their role in in sharing the gospel with others and making disciples of all nations. And so we were able to mobilize a group of students in Botswana. And I'd, I'd love to share a little bit more about that, that story yeah. um, as we throughout this time together. But one of the things that just really God planted on my heart is, is a sincere desire to see the next generation of church really being people from every nation to every mm-hmm. nation. Yeah. Flesh that out a little bit for us. Cause right now, you and the team you lead does like this huge amount of mobilization of American students. How does that compare and contrast to what you did in Botswana? Pros, cons? And before you answer that, Andy, didn't we, I have this memory of, we sent some people out to Africa that helped our, our organization did to help do a training with some, some Africans that were maybe going to another country. Is that right? That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, I think, you know, be cool for those whoever who's listening i I don't know if anybody was on that um that project that was one of the neatest things we got to see happen i i remember back i'll I'll start here because i think it's important we were standing out 
looking out over about 11 villages in the mountains of Lesotho. And I'm standing there with a team of students looking out over this valley of, of villages, counting them one by one and seeing each one that did not have a gospel witness among them. No evangelical church near them, no gospel witness. And the, the, the worker that we were with there, the missionary, he basically said, what's it going to take to reach these? Turning to the team, just really kind of planting within their heart, just saying, you've got, you're a part of this. We've got to see the gospel go to these villages that had not yet heard. That team of students was the team of, of African students that I was just talking about. They caught the vision for getting the gospel to, um, to people who had not yet heard the unreached, and they've been praying for the unreached for some time. One of the ways that we saw that happen was in partnership with, um, at the time, it was Focus International, who came and worked with us and helped cast vision with the students and also provided training. We did a, um, we did an O-week, uh, literally with the students um, in Botswana, and which was I mean, it was challenging on many levels. Um, on some other levels, it was just it was a lot of fun uh, to see even kind of doing some of the implementing some of the things that I know happens at, at O Week and that orientation week for some. Seeing some of those things implemented there was pretty awesome. And God used even helping them understand the values needed in order to, to take the gospel to the nations. So seeing that take place was really neat. But So kind of the, the whole picture of it, was really investing in African youth because, well, investing in African youth and helping them understand their place in God's story, understanding their place in carrying out the Great Commission, um, particularly among the unreached. How are we going to reach these? Um, And everyone has a part to play in that. So, yeah, I mean, that was um, that was a big piece of it to really kind of help them see the whole the whole picture of what that would take in order to see that become a reality. Excellent. Are you are you still in touch with any of them today? Like what what's been the long term effect of that? Well, in their lives, I'll, you know. I'll tell you a story of one one guy whose name is Andrew. God um, did a, a great work in Andrew's heart on that trip. I, I remember first of all, we had we had been reading um, actually we've been reading Radical uh, at the time as a as a group. I, I don't even remember how how that started, but they were reading. And after they returned from that trip, almost the resounding message from them was what, okay, we see in this book, kind of this, this American dream that, that some people are kind of in bondage to like, how am I going to build my own empire? And how am I going to, to make it, make a difference for myself and kind of pursuing that American dream. And these particular students were asking the question, like, what is our dream? Is it about ourselves or is it really about that Revelation 7, 9 vision of seeing people from every nation, tribe, people, and language worshiping the Father. And a lot of great conviction came out of that from that trip. They were all asking that question. One guy in particular, Andrew, who I just mentioned, he said, I, I want to give my life, the rest of my life, for the sake of reaching the unreached. Andrew was a student at the University of Botswana, actually a, uh, one of the top students at the school. And he decided to add a fifth year to his university education to get a teaching degree. The reason he decided to get a teaching degree is because he knew the government would place him in a part of the country where there was um, a good number of people who were unreached. So one of the more remote places. 
So he got his teaching degree. Interestingly, this is a, a different story, but he ended up not teaching and got a different job, but still among an unreached people group in the northwestern part of the country. Um, he ended up getting married and he and his wife, both his wife, who was actually on that same trip, he and his wife moved out to that place and there they were living among a people and still are living among a people um, where the, at the time there were no known believers. Um, and they've started a group in their home and they continue to share the gospel. And we're still praying for church to birth out of that. But that's God really planted that in their heart, a, a desire to see the unreached and then asking the question, what's it going to take for me to give up what I think may be my dream for the sake of following what is on the heart of God and the Revelation 7, 9 vision that we all steward. That's awesome. That's yeah. a really great story. Well, let's, we'll, we'll jump from Africa back here to America. One of the overarching questions that we've been asking, and I mean, it's, it's pretty hard to answer really, but uh, just for the sake of discussion, what would you, would you say that uh, as you've been out over the last year, interacting with churches and uh, young adults, that missions interest, have you seen any trends? Is it increasing? Is it decreasing? I know COVID has kind of uh, messed up some ways of judging that, but what would you say to that question? From our side, we are seeing numbers. Uh, the numbers that we had pre-COVID, we're, we're back to the so, those same numbers, and we're actually seeing those increase. So we're seeing our numbers grow. We're back to where we were pre-COVID, and we are seeing an even greater interest. Actually, in just recent weeks and months, we're seeing a greater interest of people wanting to go. So does that mean we're trending in terms of growth of people wanting to go and interest? We don't know yet. It's hard to tell. I think we can say with some confidence that we are at least getting getting back to where we were and hopefully growing from that. But it'll take, I think it'll take another year for us to see, are we really trending upwards or downwards? The interest is there. And I think particularly among Gen Z, there's a desire among Gen Z to make a difference in the world. We saw this among millennials, but I think it, particularly among Gen Z, that question is being asked even from an individual basis, maybe sometimes even outside of community, interestingly, but how do, how do I make a difference in the world? And if, if we are there to have those conversations with them to and that, and that deep relationship, hopefully by mentoring and discipling the next generation, hopefully we're there to help them see, yes, you can make a difference in the world. In fact, not only can you, but you must, if you're a follower of Christ, and this is what we're talking about when we say make a difference in the world, it's the Great Commission, making disciples of all nations. <laughs> so I, that was a little longer of an answer. I'm not sure I totally answer your question. I'm not sure if we're seeing a trend upwards yet, but we hope to. Yeah, at least seeing, at least seeing positive signs or encouraging signs. Yeah, we are seeing encouraging signs and we're seeing encouraging signs even among leaders. So in my job, I spend a lot of time with uh, state convention leaders. I spend a lot of time with uh, campus leaders. This could be um, uh, university this could be on a university or like a BCM or something like that. I spend a lot of time with them and, and there's a growing interest among them to find ways to, to really put this on the heart of their students, mm -hmm. more opportunities for training in God's heart for the nations and their place in that. So I, I will say today, I'm, I'm actually very encouraged by, by a lot of the things that I'm seeing across the U S and um, I'm excited about some of the things that, that could come out of these 
this desire. And some of those things that we're hearing, there's a lot of talk about how do we develop pipelines. So it's not just about how do we get people to go on a trip, but how can we develop a stream where they're actually going and then we follow up with them on the tail end and we continue to help them take the next step. So it's it's about a journey rather than just a, a one-time destination, a one-time trip. Yeah. Now, I remember a couple of years ago, the IMB and Barna did kind of a study of uh, various aspects of missions and missions interests. Have you looked at that? And if you have, did you glean any, any of these sort of trends? I'm getting a little bit ahead to maybe future, future mission strategy, but uh, what was your take on all that? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the IMB partnered with Barna to do this study on the future of, of missions. And one of the things that we, we did is a, more of a deep dive, particularly in millennials and some into Gen Z. Some of the things that we saw in that didn't really forecast the future in terms of like the next 25 or 50 years or so. I think we could try to do that. But some of the things that we saw changing is really, I think one of the most astounding was the definition of success for a missionary has changed. Some of the statistics came out of that, something along the lines of like 44%, just like over and above evangelism and discipleship. Most of them, most of the the research data that we, that we received was that young adults nearly half say that they want M's to quote unquote, save lives. So the definition of success was not just about, like I said, like the missionary task or faithfulness in the missionary task. It was to, to save a life. So kind of that, that mindset of how are we going to, how are we going to make a difference by helping people and meet, meeting their, maybe their most meeting their human needs or something along those lines. Um, some other trends that we saw from that, maybe the definition or the, the job of an M being redefined. So this blending of business and social good had become culturally commonplace, even expected, um, especially among younger generations. Um, there was enthusiasm, particularly among millennial engaged Christians for non-traditional M roles. And so we've, we've seen this over and over. We've seen this desire for more businessmen or entrepreneurs or could be artists or even business leaders along those lines. So that's, that's changed. One statistic, let me, I, I, I was looking at this earlier, but three in 10 young adult engaged Christians, about 29% say a missionary and someone else who does work to fight poverty and justice are very similar compared to about one quarter of older Christians. So that that strong comparison to social justice and missionary task. So those are some of the trends that we would see, particularly among millennials. There's a, it was a deeper dive in looking at the past, like how, what was their take on missions of the past? A lot of younger generations uh, were seeing that or stating that they believed a lot of the past missions was colonialism and some even see a, a continued trend in that direction. And so Christians age 18 to 34 are more likely than older adults to cons- express concern about the missions past. And it, one statistic was that about one third believed it was unethical, just the way that, that things were handled in the past. So those were some of the, the trend or some of the, the, the the facts that came out of that. So what does that say to the future? And I think one of the things is 
we, we've got to be playing an invested role in helping shape the next generation of missions and making sure that we're painting the right picture. And this just takes, this takes one-on-one discipleship. This takes the church being the church and making sure that they're, that we're seeing the role of the missionary task and, and what does that mean? Um, but not just in teaching, but in practice as well. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, we, um, you, you mentioned discipleship. We coined a phrase in one of our episodes, it takes two ships to get people to the missions field, discipleship and relationship. And mm. so I think you're right. We It's got to start at that level. I'm going right. to try to copyright that, James. So don't try to steal that from me. All right. I said it first. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm writing it down right now. Got it. <laughs> yeah. What are you seeing, maybe based off that survey, what kind of adjustments are y'all making? Are you making any adjustments? Should we make any adjustments? Yes. In, in one way, I think we all need to be making an adjustment in how how diversified we are, particularly in our leadership. So our organization um, has made a lot of adjustments in, in ensuring that we are providing opportunities to uh, to mobilize all demographics. Mm. Because, I mean, that's the future of our work is diversity. I mean, there's good. We need to not only be praying for, but we also are seeing it. I mean, if we really believe that the next generation of missionaries are not are not coming from the West necessarily, but really coming from from the global South, or even from some of our brothers and sisters, and we're thinking about maybe in Korea or the Philippines, where we're seeing a strong movement there. If it really is people from every nation to every nation, our mobilization efforts should reflect that as well in simply how we're how we're leading others. So we we have made some of those adjustments um, in, in diversity in our leadership and uh, how. In our, in our mobilization team as well. I think some other adjustments we've made is just making sure that we are, that we are, um, that we're providing ongoing opportunities that looks at some of those trends that we were talking about, like the desire to, to do business in, on mission or to, to take um, someone's career and, and, and do it overseas. So we provide a lot of different pathways to that end. So the traditional missionary role doesn't fit everyone. So we've got different pathways that will accommodate for someone that might actually want to take their, take their degree or take their job or their business. I just recently heard a story of someone who said, this was actually a recent graduate who got a degree in a particular field, was offered a job in a particular city. And just ask the question, is it possible for me to take this same job that I've just been offered and, and do it overseas? Uh, knowing that the company was global, she just mm-hmm. asked the question. And the answer was, you really want to do this overseas? <laughs> and she said, absolutely. And so now she's living strategically somewhere for the glory of God overseas doing a job. And, and like I said, organizationally, we, we've worked really hard to make sure that we're providing um, the avenues to, to see that become a reality. Mm-hmm. I think those two uh, adjustments and just clarifying who we are, that I think that's an adjustment we all need to be about, clarifying what does it mean when we say missionary? And so for the past five years, the IMB in particular has spent a lot of time in redefining or 
not redefining necessarily uh, as if it wasn't defined before, but just making sure that everyone understands what do, what do we mean when we say the missionary task? What do we mean when we say a missionary? What do we mean when we say uh, even discipleship in the local church? Like, what are we actually so we're defining those terms? But even in our training and our teaching, ensuring that everyone understands this is what we're about. So even if you take your job and you are doing uh, business overseas or you are in the medical profession or you are um, maybe you're working at a CrossFit gym uh, overseas, those things are awesome and great in terms of entry. But how are you taking that and really fleshing that out for the sake of, of carrying out the missionary task? Everything from entry. To, to exit the partnership. Um, so I know I've used that term, the missionary task over and over. And so for your listeners, just to make sure, I mean, when we talk about the missionary task, it's entry, evangelism, disciple making, healthy church formation, leadership development, and exit to partnership. That's the essence of what we do everywhere. And so I think every follower of Christ, not just if you're living cross-culturally overseas, every follower of Christ needs to be about this in some way. Yeah. yeah. Have we been, have you guys been doing this long enough to have any data or like, what are some of the challenges? Like we have uh, a couple of people associated with us or, or alumni that are in the process of trying to get transferred overseas. How does, how does that, how's that been typically working? I think they're all going on teams, but in my head, I'm, right. I'm picturing all the challenges of language of just time aspects of, you know, how, how are you guys fleshing that out? What do we see in working, not working challenges we need to figure out? Are you talking specifically about the team associate role? Yes. Team? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to go overseas with my company that that's a secular company, but I want to be used in the missionary task while I'm there. Yeah. There's got to be lots of ongoing conversations and some of the places where it's worked best when those expectations were set ahead of time to make sure that we know, okay, this is what, this is what the job's going to require of me. And so we're going to work together to figure out a way to holistically help you do language and culture and research and understanding your people group alongside of what your business is requiring for you. Because we want, if you're serving, if you're serving in a job overseas, we want you to do that with excellence. Mm-hmm. So it's imperative that there's a, there's a healthy balance. And yeah, that we, there's been some struggles and some barriers to seeing that become a reality because that, that business could be having a lot of demands on you. And that's, that's a great challenge. But at the same time, I think it's, uh, I think good communication but still constantly fig- trying to figure out what is it going to, what is it going to take for us to not just do this job, but to do this job in advance, uh, advance the gospel as well. And our team leaders that are getting team associates and they're landing on teams, those that are seeing success are those that are in regular dialogue about the realities and how to shape that. So generally, Andy, what are your greatest challenges uh, and you've shared a couple, some, some things that have been exciting, some trends you've seen recently. What are some of the challenges you face as you get out there and try to get uh, American churchgoers and college students overseas? Sure. Uh, we're seeing a lot of students that are just, they're, they're either busy, like too busy because uh, there's a, there's some research that's saying that Gen Z is the most frenetic culture um, out there. That's just workaholism is, is rampant among Gen Z. Just this desire to, to really kind of aspire to something great. And there's a lot of good in that. There's a lot, this strong work ethic, but it, 
it creates challenges in that they're they're too busy and or maybe their ambitions are so strong that it's hard for them to actually contemplate okay I'm going to give up a semester to go serve overseas or I'm going to I'm going to spend one or two years of my life and not pursue my masters or not pursue that that next stage of my life in which I'm starting to get a job or whatever that's a challenge mm-hmm. another challenge is um this is one of the most anxious cultures that we've um that we've seen and so anxiety being rampant um, has been a great challenge. In fact, we've had um, a number of occasions in which students have served overseas and either struggled or had to go home because of just intense anxiety. And so helping helping this culture kind of walk through that is, um, has been a challenge, but not something that can't be overcome. It's just something we need to be aware of. And the reason I say it so affirmatively is be, because we you look at the scriptures and Jesus himself talking about not worrying. And then we see in Philippians chapter four, don't be anxious about anything. We know that that's not, not a trait that is desirable among followers of Christ. So how do we work through that together in a way? And that's where the local church really needs to come in. So in response to that, we really are trying to train and work alongside of local churches to help develop that. And along the way, the two probably most common barriers that are challenges for people going uh, this this barrier kind of rears its head more so for those trying to, they're going more long-term or even journeyman for two years. Two most common barriers are debt, debt that students are getting in, particularly from student loan debt, because there is kind of a ceiling and we work through that with students. There's some great programs out there that help relieve some of that debt to help people go. So we're grateful for that. But debt and then addiction, particularly addiction to pornography, that's a something that we're seeing constantly among men and women. And we will still send those that have that in their past, but we want them to be clean at least for a year um, in that. And so it's just been a real, a real struggle and a stronghold for many. And, you know, guys, when I think about the world's greatest problem, which is lostness, and there's still being over 3,000 unengaged, unreached people groups. That word unengaged, meaning I think we understand them being unreached, but unengaged, meaning no known workers among them. We don't have time to be dabbling in pornography when, when the nations are need to hear, and, and we play a role in that. Um, so that's just, it has been, it has been a barrier, um, a barrier that's really burdened my heart. But so I think in terms of a challenge, just seeing people try to go through the process and kind of hitting a wall and saying, man, I'm not ready to go. Maybe there's other sins that are in their life that are hindering from that, or maybe some kind of fear, or maybe their parents are, are kind of breeding some kind of, some of that fear as well. So yeah, that's definitely a challenge to mobilization, but those are not challenges that we can't overcome. We just need um, to walk together in community um, in a biblical way. Yeah. Yeah. I had a friend who who said to me, and I kind of laughed at first. He said, you know, yeah, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are addicted to pornography. And like mm-hmm. I said, I kind of, my first instinct was like, oh, that's funny, but it's not. I mean, it's really, I think there's that, what you just said, there's so uh, much truth to that. And the the enemy wants, he, you know, he's finding these sort of strongholds to keep keep the gospel out there. And sometimes it's sort of wrecking our own personal walk with Jesus. So. That's right. I know that's a constant prayer area for the students we're working with as well. 
when we talk about like mobilizing students from other nations, do you feel like the barriers are the same or are they different set? Um, yeah, they're, they're, there are some of those same barriers. I, I'm not sure I would go into the debt being a major barrier. I think some of those, the challenges that they're seeing is really the infrastructure that may not exist. And infrastructure could be a financial uh, component to it. The church is not being ready. I mean, we know there, there are churches in the States that can't, but thankfully we, we cooperate together for the sake of sending. And that, that really helps. So those, some of those barriers financially, just not being able to, to afford sending someone out. Uh, there's also a lot of places there's a leadership gap. And so uh, leaders may not be as, um, as quick to want to send out their leaders to the nations because they don't, they can't afford to lose them. Um, they're in their pipeline for leadership or taking over the local churches. And there's just not, there's not a great leadership bench in a lot of these places. And so how do we, how do we help cast a vision to local local churches uh, to see that become a reality. Um, so that's, I think th- those are two big barriers. It's really the financial piece of this and, and churches may not being willing uh, to send them out or there may be a lack of training opportunities for them to come alongside and train. Yeah, but then moral failures there as well um, and the entrapments of the world. Um, there was even some, I, I can speak personally from personal experience, some, some that I worked with um, even in Africa, one that was geared. I mean, he, he desired uh, to serve in South Sudan, really wanted to go and, and leave his home country and go to an unreached people group in South Sudan. Uh, but he fell into sin and that, that never became a reality. And anyway, so those, those same barriers are there as well. And so I think across the board, it, Brad, you said it well, the enemy's hard at work. And we, we just need to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors, but also to be preparing those labors as well and protecting them from the evil one. Amen. Yeah. That discipleship peace. If you could get, if you got, if you could get everybody that went on a, a trip with you guys last year, short-term trip to come back and do one thing, what would you have them do? Uh, <laughs> about three things came to head, my head <laughs> right when you said that. So maybe I'll, I'll, I'll give you the first one that came to mind. I don't know if this would be the, the one thing, but it's the first thing that came to mind and it's engaging international students where they are. The nations are in our back door. And when we talk about unreached people groups, even when we talk about unengaged unreached people groups, they're on these university campuses. And one of the things that we need to remember is that one one of these international students typically equals an entire village, or at least, at the very least, it, it, it represents an entire family of families, just the way that uh, other cultures work. And, and so knowing that they've come to the U.S. to, to study and, and to get a degree, that's one way that we can be reaching the nations. So that would be my fir- that was my first thought, is just go and take what you've been doing overseas and apply it to your local context. I would also want to see everyone that, that returns be a missional leader in their church and actually prepare to, to go and serve overseas. So we, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out, okay, you've done that. You spent a summer. You need to ask, okay, thinking of like Psalm, Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us, make his face to shine upon us. Why? 
that your ways may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. God blesses us. God gives us uh, these opportunities and even a summer opportunity for the sake of being a blessing to others and continuing to advance his cause among the nations. So, um, yeah, just realizing that you've got to be asking yourself the question, what is my next step? Where's the most strategic place that I can be living in order to advance the mission of God? Or what is the most strategic thing that I can be doing in my life right now that will advance the mission of God? Good. Well, it's interesting. This is the third uh, interview we've done and we've asked everyone that question and almost all of them have said the same thing that come back and reach internationals or reach people here, you know, was sort of the first thing that came to their mind. So uh, interesting. Uh, there's probably something to that then I would guess if, uh, if people that that's on the heart of people yeah. who are mobilizers who care much about the, you know, the nations overseas as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, what would you say to other people? The, the, like I'm, I'm stuck in America people. Like I'd love to be overseas right now. God's just not saying that. What would you tell them or how would you encourage them? Like, obviously the two things you just said, getting involved with international students, how do you, how do you encourage them to either be a mobilizer? Like what they can they do so that they're redeeming that time? Start with prayer. This should be in the DNA of every, every follower of Christ, not just that we're sharing the gospel and making disciples among all peoples, but that we're praying to the Lord of the harvest, that we're praying uh, for, for more laborers, that we're praying for the work that's going on around the world. Jesus modeled this for us. Jesus, I'm thinking of John, even John 17 and Jesus's prayer there. But as we pray for, pray for the work, there are great tools out there. The IMB actually has a prayer app that people can download and keep on their phone that could help them to know tangibly how to pray. So like specific prayer requests that are coming fresh from the field. So I would say definitely spend time in prayer. Make that a not just um, part of your daily devotion, but have some kind of strategic way that you're actually praying personally, that you're praying in groups. You can pray your campus and your church, whatever that may be, mobilizing others to pray as well. God uses that in incredible ways to help plant within our hearts a, a deeper understanding of maybe... Um, what his heart is for, for those particular people. So I'd say pray, obviously finding opportunities to share and then um, give as well. They can give to, uh, to help others go. Uh, they can help support someone that's going for short term. They can give to organizations like ours that that's helping to advance the cause. So there's definitely ways to be involved, but we have the great commission go and make disciples of all nations. We have that great commission. We also have this vision in Revelation 7, verse 9, a vision to, to, to see people from every nation, tribe, people, and language worshiping the Father. We have that vision, but we steward that vision. So as stewards of that vision, we need to constantly be asking ourselves a question, what are the implications of that for my life? Um, what has God given me? How has God equipped me? Um, so regularly asking that question, I asked this question earlier, just kind of rhetorically, like, and I think this is good for all of us to ask ourselves, what is the most strategic thing that I can be doing in my life right now to advance the mission of God? And regardless of whether or not you go overseas, like you can answer that question in a very tangible way. So I think just wrestling with that, that reality and knowing your call and in, in place before, before God. Yeah, that's really good. 
Well, let, let's end with this, Andy. Um, what are some ways that our staff and our listeners on the podcast, what can they be praying for you and for the next-gen mobilization team there at, at the IMB? Let's pray for the next generation as they um, they deal with these different barriers that are out there. Um, the different temptations as the enemy is hard at work. And we continue to hear of good people that fall into some sin um, and that's keeping them from, from continuing on and, and what God's called them to do. So let's pray for those barriers. Just pray in the spiritual warfare. Satan hates what we're about. And so he's going to do whatever he can to destroy it. So it's imperative for us to, to be on our knees before God and say, we, we can't, but you can. And, and we are, we declare our dependence upon you. Pray also, you can just pray for us that, that we would be, that we'd be faithful to the task, that we would not get wrapped up in, in the world's version of success, but really that we would be wrapped up in, in the most critical thing. Um, I mentioned earlier, just thinking about what is the world's greatest problem. It's lostness. And we have the solution to the world's greatest problem, which is the gospel. And the most tangible way of, of being about uh, that solution is by missionary presence. So just pray that, that we would be faithful to, to mobilize, but also in, in all that we're doing right now to, to invest in the next generation in a way that's pleasing to God. Even when we think about some of those barriers, let's pray for the local churches that are, that are connected to, to us. Um, as well as they walk, uh, as, they, as they deal with some of these things. Mm-hmm. Well, let me end our time by voicing some of those prayers, and then uh, we'll let you have the rest of your day. So let, let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this time with Andy. We thank you for the insights that he's given, and pray you, those that are listening, would be, uh, you'd speak to them through some, some of these things that were shared. Uh, and we pray, Lord, we come against the work of the evil one. You know, we've heard mm-hmm. of several ways that he is trying to um, shipwreck people's faith and keep people away from the mission's task. So we pray you would open doors and you would call people. Uh, and I pray that you would give um, Andy wisdom and guidance as he leads his team. Pray for them as well, Lord. You protect them from any schemes of the evil one and you'd help them to steward uh, their calling faithfully. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, so great to have you, Andy. Appreciate your time. And we'll look forward to seeing you around. Thank you. Thanks for having me on and let me chat with you guys. I appreciate all the work that you guys are doing. And it's a joy to to partner with you in the task. All right. Appreciate it. Have a good day. Okay, you too. Thanks. Bye. Bye.